Hi, and welcome to AM in the Afternoon, a podcast on big ideas and little thoughts that matter. I'm Ange. And I'm Margie. And we're your hosts. Thanks for listening. In our podcast, we catch up to talk about big and small topics that we think are important and delve into the creative ways people communicate and how that impacts daily life and society at large. This episode, we're going to be looking at how we communicate our personality surface deep. So where does a person's sense of style come from? Whether you like it or not, what you wear sends a signal to the world and communicates a lot about who you are as a person. What makes you like the things you like? Maybe it's price or practicality. Maybe you're actually really concerned about the ethics of what you're wearing. Or maybe you're just someone that looks for convenience. Why do some people dress flamboyantly and other people really conservatively? There's a lot of subtleties going on there. And like Anne said, the way we present ourselves really sends a visual signal to the world about who we are and our lifestyle, our wealth, and much, much more. So we develop our style throughout our lives and it's constantly being influenced from the outside. I know personally, I'm always getting inspiration from the people around me or people I'll pass in the street or something I might see in a magazine. Um, but then you don't want to straight up copy something either. So it's, it's all about putting your own twist on something and making it work with kind of who you are as a person and your personal brand identity for want of a better term. I don't know, what influences the way you look? Yeah, I mean, I honestly haven't thought about it a lot until we started talking about this topic. But I think actually for me, sometimes it's social pressure or mm-hmm. that, um, I don't know, I used to have a lot of anxiety about standing out or not fitting in. And I think sometimes the way you dress can really alleviate that in a weird way. Like, you know, you can see, like you said, influences from your friends or magazines and, and what's out there. And I know I'm always a little bit slow to cotton on to fashion ideas. I remember skinny jeans took me like ages to get on board with. And then it became like exclusively what I wore for like the longest time. So, yeah, I think um, for me, it's what people around me are definitely wearing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Nobody can ignore that, I think. I mean, you might think you can, but on a subconscious level, yeah, especially as women. Yeah, it's really fascinating to me. And why is it that everyone dresses so differently? Like, you know, it's the reasons you mentioned earlier, Maggie, about money or practicality or, you know, your day-to-day life. And, and, you know, obviously it needs to be practical. Um, But why do some people dress monotone? Some people dress sporty. Some people dress boho, middle, hiker. I know on my way in here this evening, there's a Slayer concert in town. So they're just like band t-shirts are plenty downtown and it's like there's a definite demographic walking around arrived in a little early for dinner and you know it's its, its own thing what makes those people choose to to look a certain way it's like it's like clans or groups in society and yeah how do you identify with your tribe and how do you decide which tribe aligns with you it, it's fascinating it is super fascinating and that is that whole thing i think seth godin the influencer mm-hmm, and marketer mm-hmm. goes on about like finding your tribe and you know, part of that, one of those is examples visual. is, yeah, like bike, bikers, you know, as in, I guess I actually meant like motorcycle, but same with cyclists, cyclists actually. Yeah, like. Absolutely. And then hipster cyclists versus oh, like lycra cyclists. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they're not, you know, exclusive. Yeah, sometimes they're not, but sometimes they are. <laughs> and it's really fascinating to see how you can really easily group people together, often outside of the context that they're in, mm-hmm. based on what they're wearing or how they choose to style their hair or their facial hair for men and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I think even like dating back 
to your teenage years are probably formulated formulative in this mm. or formative formulative <laughs> formative <laughs> is certainly the word that I want there <laughs> your teenage years formulate you know there you go. a basis for this and I think with me it makes me wonder growing up I was left to my own devices to pick my my mum I never had one of those mums who's like you need to wear this or I'm going to dress you f- this way for this event it was like probably just because I'm number three and by the time you get down there you're just lazy and just wear whatever just hurry up and get ready but you know I never was told what to wear or what what works and you know if I wanted to go to school in my pajamas my mum wasn't going to stop me it was just let me do whatever I wanted you know there's no kind of judging what you want to wear and I, I think it's a cool thing to do with kids you know you'll see kids walking around in the weirdest costumes sometimes oh, I and love that. I love it too and I think Maybe maybe there's a chance. I, I'd say I'm a bit of a risk taker when it comes to fashion. Mm. I, I definitely like to do something a bit different. And it makes me wonder if that's because I've had that freedom to choose clothes from a young age that's made me more adept at being creative when I'm picking outfits. Who knows? Or not. I mean, I think it's definitely true. I mean, I know that definitely I've seen you previously. I think I've we've turned up for these recording sessions and wearing a leopard print coat and, like, beautiful lipstick, and I've been in, like, gym gear. So, you know, it definitely goes back to that idea of um, maybe expressing yourself and your personality, but also dressing for occasions like I mean I can mm-hmm. be especially living in Vancouver I get I've become I think a very practical dresser whereas I definitely wasn't in Australia like I would wear agreed yeah much more impractical clothes whereas here I don't know it does rain a lot you're kind of like okay rain jacket nobody black. else seems to care or make an effort yeah. <laughs> yeah and like you know it does seem we've obviously talked about this in a previous episode go back and listen if you haven't <laughs> um the Vancouver episode the Vancouver episode but we do tend to dress a bit more practically here and I think again that whole fitting in thing has influenced Mm -hmm. how I dress and now I go a a bit more for comfort a bit more for practicality yeah if I'm walking everywhere yeah Yeah. if I'm walking everywhere that's pretty impractical yeah I definitely feel like living in Vancouver I'm constantly feeling like I have to scale it back Um, Like I'm constantly wanting to wear maybe a flamboyant or crazy outfit. And I'm like, oh, I'll just stand out too much. And I I just have to pick something boring. Like, and it is kind of, yeah, it's it's weird how your, your environment impacts that. One observation I had is I think, I think there's a big contrast in New Zealand and Australia versus like North America. The fashion is really different not just because the seasons are opposite but if you look at a kiwi uh, sorry an aussie vogue and like an american vogue it's it's totally different and i think australians and kiwis are a bit more playful and a bit more risk takers with the fashion there's a kind of more fads mm. whereas um, american is a bit more kind of like that classic style the sweeping generalization obviously there's always <laughs> exceptions and it makes me wonder typically in north america Nobody wears uniforms, whereas Kiwis and Aussies grow up like pretty much all kids wear uniforms all through school. Yeah, regardless of private or public school, it's just the norm. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes me wonder is that, you know, you're so constrained in school that, you know, there's always, we had, we call them mufti days. So, like, you have a day, like, one day a term when you're allowed to wear not uniform. You pay your one or two dollars or whatever, and you can wear. And when you're a teenager, it was like the biggest deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, at my school, there were rules about that, though. I remember one girl got in trouble because she had, do you remember handkerchief tops? Like, oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Uh, I remember them well. 
<laughs> she got in trouble for wearing that because it was belly and back. Yeah, there and was no midriff. And no midriff allowed. Yeah, interesting. But, yeah, it makes me wonder if because we were kind of suppressed throughout school, when it comes to fashion, we're a bit more out there and zany because it's like when you get your chance in those formulative teenage years when you're kind of discovering your style you get like one day every three months to express yourself to your peers so you like it's all in whereas like North America is a bit more laid back about it yeah maybe I always think it must have been so hard for those kids though like because if you're dressing every single day in your own clothes I mean I don't know about you but I'd didn't have that many new or great outfits. No, I not mean, at all. God, it makes me wonder. And sometimes, even now as an adult, I kind of wish we could wear uniforms because yeah. it can be exhausting. Think about what to wear. I don't know. I get stuck in ruts. I kind of think to a degree I almost do wear a uniform like all winter, like for work. <laughs> like, I definitely have black blazer, black dress, black tights, black boots. Like, yeah. I feel like I have like many mix and matches, and then it's just like. Just it's just easy. You and do get those those sort of combos that work, and you just keep going. And do you find that it changes seasons? Like now, for instance, in spring summer, I am just like, what do I even wear? Like I just forget. It's been so long. It feels. I'm like. the opposite. I'm like, yes, finally different stuff, and I'm pulling out all the stuff from last season, and I'm like, oh, I just feel like towards the end of winter, you just get in such a rut, and you're just repeating things. Oh, yeah. So now I'm like just itching to get out there and wear color and, and different things. So. Kind of the opposite. Kind of the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a theory, and that is every woman's sense of style just stops at some point. Um, And it's kind of like the lottery. Um, You know, a woman might never know when her sense of style stops. So, you know, I have some friends whose style, I would say, stopped circa 2008. Um, Not terrible. But, you know, occasionally you'll be walking down the street and you see a woman and you're like, okay, your style stopped in 1988. You haven't bought new jeans since then. I don't know, every now and then you'll you'll just see people who are just stuck in time. I guess they, they found something that worked for them. I don't know. It's, it's going interesting. For it. mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder if I'm already at that stage. I'm like, I worry about <laughs> it constantly. Oh, really? <laughs> I've been watching The Crown and mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me because it's a great show, but also like just seeing... Queen Elizabeth as a young woman, obviously she's portrayed by Claire, Claire Foy, I think her actress's name mm-hmm. is, but what the Queen wears as a young woman really is pretty similar to what she wears as an old lady. It hasn't changed, yeah, I, I guess I'd it say works. that. Yeah, absolutely, and there's certainly other celebs and stuff that fall into that category, like uh, Kelly Cutroni, I think it is, she's a PR publicist from New York, um, I think I've recommended her book in another one of our episodes, yeah. she just always wears black, it's like her trademark. Hmm. Um, and I think she always does her hair the same as well. And I, we'll talk a bit, little bit more about that later on. But yeah, it, it's interesting. But clothing has a huge effect on how you present yourself and, and how you perceive yourself. And I think it's even more so than we realize. You know, clothing affects your cognitive processes. On that note, I had... I read a super interesting study I'd just like to share, and it's kind of, I'll call it fake it till you make it. People are always joking about faking it till you're making it, but this actually kind of proves it with dressing. Hmm. So the, these two guys, Harjo Adam and Adam D. Galinsky, they did a study or an experiment with lab coats, you know, your white lab coat. Mm-hmm. They randomly selected 58 undergrads and asked them to wear a white lab coat or street clothes. So, you know, they split them into two groups. And then they were given the Stroop test. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, um, but it's like that kind of confusing test where 
the word red will be written, but it says it in green ink, or you know, and there's a whole list of things like that, and you have to say the word and not the color, and like your brain just gets totally confused. And um, and what they found is of those undergrads, those who wore the white lab coats made about half as many errors in incongruent trials as those who wore the regular clothes. So basically, if you're dressed like a scientist, you'll be smarter. Yeah. Or you'll think you're smarter. Yeah, you'll think you're and smarter. And that confidence, I guess. And then you will be smarter. Yeah. If you think about extrapolating that into the real world, it's it's huge. So increasing a doctor's coat increases your ability to pay attention. So I think next time I go to the doctor, I'm just going to ask the doctor to put on a coat. Because usually they just dress like normal people. So, yeah. You know, I'm just going to be like, excuse me, I think you'll have uh, more attention to detail if, if you just put on that lab coat behind your door. <laughs> but it's definitely true even for job interviews. You know, obviously first impressions last. But I think you yourself going into a job interview you feel more confident and I know even if I've done a phone interview mm-hmm. I've actually made a point of like making sure I'm dressed nice because it affects how you sit it affects how you I think your confidence yeah it does you really like you say you go fake it till you make it and mm-hmm. I mean I'm actually working from home at the moment and it is very tempting to sit around in your pajamas or whatever but I don't know how people do that because I actually have to get changed mm-hmm. and occasionally even put makeup on and like go out and get a coffee or something as if I'm going to work mm-hmm. because otherwise my brain is just in like ugh, mode you yeah need to... sit on the couch mode yeah I, yeah I could definitely see that so these guys, jumping back to this study, they so they found that the doctor's coat increases your ability to pay attention. But then they basically did the same test, but they told the undergrads that it was a painter's coat because really a painter's coat, white, is exactly the same as a lab coat. Same thing, just mm. different name. And they, they found the same thing. There was no improvement when the students thought it was a painter's coat, only if they thought they were dressed like a scientist. With, huh. So... It's just so crazy. So they concluded that clothes can have profound and systematic psychological and behavioral consequences for their wearers, which is, you know, exactly what you were just talking about. It's super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And other experiments have shown that uh, women who dress in a masculine fashion during a job interview are more, more likely to be hired. So, I mean, we could you could talk for hours on that one about yeah. whether it's that they're then acting more masculinely or if that's the perception of the interviewer or if that's how society wants you to look in an interview. I, I a lot know. to go into there. Yeah, and the, another study also found that a teaching assistant who wears more formal clothes is perceived as more intelligent than one who dresses more casually. And, I mean, you are, as much as we hate to admit it, we... You're judging people like when you're in it. I was in a professional call. It was again like a video call recently with an agency, and one of the people was dressed very casually, and it, it impacts the way I perceive them. And as a client, I want you to dress up and look sharp for me. And yeah, it's fair enough. And if you have an important meeting, you would think, you know, even if it's just with your boss or someone, mm-hmm. you generally. Even if you work in a pretty casual environment, both of us have worked in yeah. you know tech and in areas that are a bit more Very casual. casual yeah. um, but I would argue that if you have a presentation or if you have to go meet with a superior and you know that's coming up, generally mm-hmm. you step it up a notch. Yeah, I mean, I'll always keep like a blazer and a pair of heels at my desk so that, you know, if I'm having a casual day and I get called out to a meeting or whatever, I can just, you know, I've got that on me so that I'm prepared. And, you know, on this note of getting dressed for work, it's interesting to think about how much time and energy we spend, especially women, Mm -hmm. just into getting dressed and selecting an outfit over the course of our lifetime. It's scary to think about. Well, someone has actually done it for us. So (laughs) in a lifetime, a woman is supposedly spending an average of 287 days deciding what to wear. 
So in the study, they worked out that women spend approximately 17 minutes a day or six months of your working life just picking out your clothes. That's scary and probably accurate. I know. I would argue that there have been days that it has taken more. But there's also been days where it's taken a lot less. A lot less. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So maybe the average. It's an average, I guess. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting is I thought the men's result would be way, way lower. And it is lower. It's, you know, the study found that men spend about 13 minutes each day just picking out clothes. So only four minutes less than women. Yeah. It's kind of surprising. I was very surprised because this adds up to about. Uh, four months over your working life, so say 18 to 60, which is still a lot of time. And I don't know, I I wonder about that. I think a lot of men would definitely be less than that. But I, again, I guess it's averaging. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, it is surprising to me. I, I thought it would be less. Either way, whether we're talking about six months, four months, or even like, God, any amount of time, this is a pretty huge chunk of time. So... There's this idea of creating a work uniform that you kind of hinted at before or doing things like capsule dressing. I mean, what do you think about that idea of having like a certain amount of outfits to just wear? Yeah, I mean, it's I don't like to be restricted by numbers. Uh, (laughs) But like I said earlier, like I definitely have that formula in especially in winter that just works. So I have like a ton of like mix and match dress, tights, boots, blazer, boom and it's like you can do it without having to think and you know 17 minutes a day 17 minutes of extra sleeping on a cold winter's morning (sighs) is a lot so you know if you can shave that down to 10 minutes and have that extra like over time it's all about efficiency i'm all about numbers and efficiency and you always look great so great i mean (laughs) i i need these tricks i find that i constantly panic dress when i especially (laughs) when i was working in an office i think i don't know i Maybe I just need some more clothes. Who knows? But like jeans, boots, top for me was very, very standard thing in Mm. winter. Well, as you might have noticed, I'm kind of an organizational freak. No. Yeah, just uh, (laughs) something. It's just how I am. So honestly, I always line up my outfit the night before. Like I just can't go to sleep if I don't know. Like I always look at my calendar so I know what meetings I have if I can have a casual day or a dressy day or maybe I know I have a big walk between meetings so I need to be wearing flat shoes versus heels. I'll always kind of strategically look at my calendar, look at the weather, then lay my clothing and jewelry and accessories, lay it all out and it's usually like in the hallway outside the bedroom and then I'm like good to go and I can just wake up and get ready and sleep in that extra 17 minutes I guess. Or I guess really I'm moving that 17 minutes to the evening before. Maybe. But, That's okay. But sometimes when I have a really busy week, I i don't know if I should admit this is kind of embarrassing, but I'll line up a week's worth of outfits. I'll look at the calendar for the week and I'll look at what I'm doing and who I'm seeing and what temperature, what the weather's going to be. I'll have like Monday in a little pile on the floor, Tuesday, and then I'm just like, boom, go. No time to think. I <laughs> want you to come organize my life for me because <laughs> this is an amazing revelation for me. I do not do this. And I probably should. I I do, if I'm going to the gym, I will say. I will pack the night before, but that's about the only time that I'll do it. And I should. I'll lay lay out exercise clothes too, so that'll be like a subgroup for Monday. (laughs) I do find, again, working from home, if I I haven't worked out in the morning, which I prefer doing, Mm -hmm. but I want to get some kind of workout in, I have actually been known to just wear my exercise gear because at some stage I'm going to be like, okay, you have to go for a run at lunchtime or something because... It'll get you out of the house. Yeah, because, I mean, there's nothing more. You can't be defeated and take off exercise clothes without exercising. Oh, so, no. yeah, yeah. once you're in them, you, you got to do it. I guess 
you can definitely see who are the formulaic dresses. Like I was mentioning earlier about Kelly Cotroni or you talked about the Queen. But I mean, CEOs, you hear about certain CEOs or like I've read articles about women who like only wear a white shirt and navy pants or something. Mm-hmm. And then like they just strip away that thought process and, yeah. and you know, spend the time doing other, other things. Yeah, and there's some really famous examples of that, obviously. You've got Steve Jobs and the, his black turtleneck mm-hmm. and mom jeans, as people call them, and mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, basically just started the whole tech slacker movement with uh, his <laughs> hoodies. hoodies, yes. Um, then you've got Karl Lagerfeld with his... It's fascinating because I, I recently was watching a documentary with him in it from ages ago. I had a lot of footage from him in, like, the 70s, and he hasn't changed. Yeah. It's just the black and white, always the suit, the gloves, the sunglasses. It's eccentric, but it's it's how it is what he is, and it works. Yeah, and it really, I think that communicates exactly... He is a fashion designer. It's a brand. It's like Anna Wintour with the glasses as well. And, and a bob, you know, that's yeah, just her. Yeah, absolutely. And I would argue more, I guess, less fashion-y people, but Ellen, mm-hmm. you know, always wears a blazer, skinny jeans, and a button-up shirt. Like, wham, bam, you know what she's going to wear. She always looks very, like... Ellen. Ellen, and classy at the same time, and approachable. It's a, it's a good look for her. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was listening to recently, um, which was so interesting on this topic, was this idea of utilitarian uniforms for everyone so it was on the cbc a couple of weeks ago and it was because this woman had written i think in the paris review an article of her experience and what happened was there was this art project where these fashion designers created these utilitarian jumpsuits and made them in 248 sizes (laughs) and the idea is that you could wear this jumpsuit whether you're a man you're a woman and in any occasion And this woman decided to test it out. She wore it for three weeks straight, including to work. And she was really surprised by the results. It's not necessarily because of what people said, but what they didn't. So she found that a lot of people didn't even notice. Afterwards, she sort of said that she wrote this article. Someone from her work said, oh, you wore the same outfit for three weeks? That is shocking to me. I know. But she also was surprised by her own, how it impacted her, because she didn't really consider herself a real fashionista. But she said she felt less professional because for her, dressing in a feminine kind of way, so wearing uh, skirt and heels to work, meetings and things like that, was part of her professional identity. And wearing this kind of like denim Utilitarian. Yeah, jumpsuit really took that away from her. So again, what you were sort of saying before about this idea of clothes giving you that confidence or, or, mm-hmm. or making you act in a certain way, faking it till you make it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think... When I first heard about this utilitarian jumpsuit project, I was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. But I don't know. It could be, like, pretty it awful. The fun out of life. It does a little bit, doesn't it? And, like, just it feels a bit 1984-ish as well. It does, like, yeah. that idea of everyone has to be the same. And But if you think about taking that 17 minutes a day and putting that energy into meditation, exercise, oh, yes. you know, I'm sure whatever. It, there's, a, there's a good point. There's a good, you know, argument for it. Yeah. And, I mean, there's the environmental aspect. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the fashion industry is the second biggest pollutant industry in the world. That's insane. Which I did not know until we were doing some research on this. Second only to the oil industry. So something to really consider when you are looking at fast fashion. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm pretty guilty of this. In fact, I'm wearing a H&M top as we're speaking. Yeah, I'm good for basics. I'm wearing Zara pants, so. Yeah, super (laughs) good for basics. But think about where your clothes are coming from and, you know, do you really need to buy you know, cheap knockoffs all the time. Yeah, when you start digging into that environmental stuff, it's it's pretty scary and, yeah, pretty but, grim. But, yeah, I think you're better off to buy fewer 
better quality things and wearing them till they die. Yeah, and I mean, that is such a big thing in certain outdoor companies like Patagonia mm-hmm. is really big on that. They had this whole don't buy this jacket campaign, which I thought was fascinating from a marketing point of view. Yeah. And the idea was that, you know, yeah, this jacket costs 700 or $800, which is huge amount of money, but it has a lifetime guarantee and they don't want you to ever have to buy another one. So yeah. this idea of quality and looking after th- your clothes. And I struggle with that. Me too. I, I, well, with fashion, and like, you know, there's something different constantly. Yeah, there's that. Definitely. But even just for practical items, like I really, really struggle with this idea of paying more money and getting something good quality, even though that's the advice I would say give my husband or my friend. I'd be like, oh, go for the better one that lasts longer. But for mm-hmm. myself, I, ugh, it's hard. Yeah, to make that, to make take the plunge. So <laughs> speaking about excessive fast fashion, <laughs> I have a wee disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm being, being truthful here. I'm a shoe addict. A little bit, yeah. I I, I want to say I have at least 50 pairs of shoes, but in reality, it's probably more like 60. Oh, wow. And, and that was, I did a big cull moving from New Zealand to Canada as well, but it's, yeah, my husband thinks it's out of hand. It, it's, uh, yeah. He might not be the only one that thinks it's out of hand. I really like shoes and you just, you need so many different shoes for every different occasion. And I have a theory that goes right back to school. My friends and I had this theory in school and it's that you can tell a lot or everything about a man from his shoes and get your mind out of the gutter. I'm not (laughs) talking about the size, but I'm kind of obsessed with shoes, as you might have noticed. And it's the first thing I'll notice on a person. I'm always looking at a, a person's shoes. If I'm attracted to a guy, I'll always check out the shoes first. It has to pass the shoe test before I look out. And this terrifies me because for starters, I don't have that great shoes and I'm like, oh gosh, I always am looking on the lookout for shoes that are a bit nicer. But my husband has awful shoes. He needs to buy new shoes. People like Ed are probably judging I him. do have a subconscious <laughs> shoe catalogue of like everyone and oh, what shoes they amazing. wear. Like I could, you could probably quiz me. But yeah, so I, I'm, I'm obsessed with shoes and my theory is you can tell a lot about any person from their shoes. Um, and it turns out this has also been researched and it's true there's a researcher at the university of kansas named omri galath i hope i'm saying that right and they basically this this study found that by examining the style cost color and condition of the shoe uh, participants in the study were able to guess about 90 percent of the owner's personal characteristics so that's just seeing the shoe like not the legs in the shoe, I mean, that's not wild. anything. Like ninety percent of a person's characteristics, which totally proves my point. <laughs> um, so they could. This is what they could correctly judge. They could correctly judge ninety percent of the time the age, the gender, income, political affiliation, um, and also emotional and other important personality traits, which is just fascinating. It's crazy because I mean I would have probably said okay, age, gender, that's not that surprising even yeah. income to a degree like yeah. if someone had real flashy shoes. like if it's a gucci sneaker you probably are going to guess that they're pretty rich yeah or have rich parents but like <laughs> yeah political affiliation emotional traits so what they did in the study is they got 63 students so not a huge sample and they looked at photographs showing 208 different pairs of shoes that belong to just random volunteers in the experiment So the volunteers for the experiment provided their most frequently worn pair of shoes and then filled out a personality questionnaire. Right. 
And then they showed the photos of the shoes to the students and the students had to kind of guess those personality traits, you know, and then they matched it up. They found that shoe color relates to attachment anxiety. So the more colorful the shoes are, the less anxious the person who wears them is, which makes sense because if you're really self-conscious, you don't want to stand out and be wearing like crazy shoes that will draw attention to yourself. Makes absolute sense to me. And again, it makes sense. It it all makes sense, but it's just fascinating that it's just this accurate so much of the time. Uh, Shabby shoes reveal a liberal thinker, just scruffy Birkenstocks. (laughs) (laughs) Dirty hippies. (laughs) Bloody hippies again. Practical and functional shoes generally belong to agreeable people. I was uh, upset by this because I think ankle ankle boots are my my go-to all winter. I have a lot of ankle boots. And ankle boots fit with more aggressive personalities. (laughs) Oh, dear. Sorry, Ange. Oh, dear. Um, And uncomfortable. This one I found surprising. Uncomfortable-looking shoes were worn by calm personalities. Yeah, that's super interesting. But I guess you have to be able to put up with uncomfortable heels. So Yeah, so you're not necessarily this crazy high-maintenance person. You you might actually be this real calm, chill person that's just like, yeah, my feet hurt, but they look good. Pain is beauty. Yeah. <laughs> and people who wear well-kept shoes exhibit high levels of attachment anxiety. Again, kind of makes sense. You know, you're worried about what people think of you. Mm. Um, and boring, this one's interesting. Boring shoes reveal someone who is aloof and repressive. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, so it's like, I guess that's what serial killers wear. Yeah, probably. Boring shoes, but then determined boring. They want to blend in. (laughs) Boring is in the eye of the beholder. This is true. No, it's a super interesting one. I mean, and I feel like we can't talk about fashion without talking a little bit about cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. So what is cultural appropriation? It's often sort of framed as misappropriation, this idea in sociology, that's about adopting elements of minority culture by members of dominant culture. So it's not like an equal cultural exchange because there's often like a colonial element or an imbalance in power. And it's often portrayed as harmful these days in contemporary culture because it's this idea that, you know, this collective dominant culture is just cherry picking the parts they like from a minority culture. You know, it might be an indigenous culture or it might be someone that lived under colonial rule and basically claiming it as their own or or wearing it themselves. I mean, it's really hard to know sometimes if you're appreciating something or if you're appropriating it. There's a fine line. I feel like you could go back and forth on this forever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I guess I actually thought it was quite an obvious line personally before. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, obviously you wouldn't wear a headdress to a festival. I mean, people that do that are stupid. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like there's just so many examples all the time at the moment. And some of them I'm like, oh, I didn't think that was a big deal. Yeah, like there's a big one circulating at the moment, um, hoop earrings. Yeah. Um, you know, and <clears throat> white women can't wear hoop earrings because that's been traditionally black and um, like Central American or Latina, I guess. Which I don't even know. And I've worn hoop earrings lots. Yeah, I really like hoop earrings, but are they are they just so common that everyone's wearing them, or I, oh, I don't know. I don't like know. I don't know because I guess I didn't. I literally didn't even know about that one until like more recently. But you can, I mean, you can strip that back too. Like rock and roll, Elvis stole rock and roll or the blues, you know, from black artists and then took it to white people. But I mean, that's not cultural appro- appropriation. Well, I mean, it kind of was, I guess. But the thing yeah, is, back but then, it's, but now 
you know, yeah, now it's, it's here not to stay. offensive. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that's the thing. Once it enters that mainstream consciousness, does that make it okay, or or what does that mean? So, yeah, it's an interesting. It's a really. I don't have an answer to that. Yoga is the other one. Like, um, yes. you know, have white people stolen yoga and is that cultural appropriation? Um, and is it, you know, helping or hindering racism? So there was that recent, did you see that story in the news about Kylie Jenner? A little bit, yeah. So yeah, she she was showing off cornrows on Instagram. Um, there was a big backlash. People expressed their discontent with her blasé approach and a hairstyle that originated in the black community. So, you know, she's just putting on, she's just wearing head, corn, corn braids or cornrows without understanding the fact that like countless black women have been fired from their jobs because they chose to wear their hair in that style. And I mean, a lot of the time they're wearing that hair strap because they feel they can't wear their hair natural or, or yeah, whatever reason. Yeah, they also get in trouble for having an afro at work. So. Yeah, like <laughs> you just couldn't win. So basically they made the mistake of being black at work. So... <laughs> It's it's not it's terrible. Yeah, and so it's really interesting because there's so many examples of this, and I, I actually just saw one recently on Twitter, and I thought it was a bit unfair. It was a girl that wore a kimono to her prom, and oh, I saw that. No, it wasn't a, a Chinese, kimono. It was right. like a traditional Chinese. You're right. I don't it know was what actually, called. You're actually, actually you're right. Yeah, it was a Chinese dress. I that too. And basically, all these internet people heaped on this girl who was like 16 or 17 years old, and. I think her mother or someone came out saying it was actually really disturbing that an adult male was commenting on some girl, underage girl's clothing and made Mm. that appropriate. And a lot of people were saying it was inappropriate that she wore this to her prom. But then other people in the Chinese community actually said, oh, I think it's great that she's rocking it. Good for her. It looks good on her. I love my culture. I'm glad to share it. So I actually had an interesting similar experience. Well, not similar, but on that note, I was at a, a bridesmaid at a wedding last year and it was one of those awesome weddings where you get to pick your dress. Um, they just give you like, well, it was actually kind of a difficult one. She said pick metallic, um, mm, which is an interesting color spectrum, but it's better than being forced to wear a lilac bubble or something. <laughs> so that's fine. I went with that and I found myself, I honestly, it didn't even occur to me that it was a kimono. It was It was an Australian designer, so it wasn't a Japanese designer, but it was kimono style. So it had like the big square sleeves, but then it was like fitted in the body. So it was inspired by a kimono, but I didn't buy a Japanese kimono. And I have seen this dress and I must admit, I didn't even think it looked like a kimono. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it that way, but it it is. The sleeves are like a kimono. And so I wore it and there was, to my knowledge, one Japanese person at the wedding. It was in New Zealand. And she comes up to me afterwards and she's like, oh, you wore a kimono. I love your dress. I'm so proud. It's so great. And she was just gushing. And she was like, I was hoping when you, because I was the first one to walk out. There was five bridesmaids. She was like, I saw you and I was hoping all the bridesmaids would be in kimonos. Oh, that's so nice. And she was stoked on it. So, you know, then you hear these things. Maybe it could have just as easily been a Japanese person who said, I can't believe you're wearing a kimono. You're not Japanese. I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so interesting. I don't know where that line is. Well, does it not matter because Japanese isn't, uh, you know, as much, it hasn't been kind of colonialized or, you know, they haven't Maybe. been dominated as much by New Zealand or what European culture. Is. But, you know, it's not like it was ever occupied. Well, actually. <laughs> but generally in New Zealand, I don't think you guys occupy Japanese people in, or did you intern them? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. We also kind of... 
went over and kept the peace after World War Two. So I don't know how if that's a euphemism. I, I don't I don't know. But it is interesting to know that there are those different reactions, and maybe that's cultural, or maybe it's not. Because what else? What else would we say falls under the um, cultural appropriation versus? appreciation banner I mean dreadlocks is a common one that's, yeah that's often coming out I've just come back from Europe and a lot of white people have dreadlocks in Europe it's way more common really? just random observation from hanging out and train in bus stations here yeah. and there in airports there you go we kind of talked about the hoop earrings already but definitely the headdresses and things that people wear to festivals still still today so yeah and I know headdresses are sacred but are mo- does are moccasins cultural appropriation yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, they're, you know, they've been in fashion. There's often, you know, there's that Minnetonka brand um, of moccasins and they're sold in a lot of shoe shops. They sell the slippers too. Like, yeah, comfy. exactly. So is it maybe if you buy them from, you know, an authentic indigenous artisan who's made them and the money's going directly to them, it's okay. But if you're buying mass-produced knockoffs, maybe that is cultural appropriation. Or if you're just white and wearing them, maybe that's bad. Maybe. This is where I get a little... I get confused. I don't know. confused. But then you see things like, you know, Gwen Stefani in the 90s wearing bindis. Oh, yeah. You kind of just cringe. So I feel like some things are kind of obvious and other ones are like the moccasins and I just don't know the answer. Yeah, and what... What about henna? Like, you know, you see a lot of women who have been, yeah, got the henna tattoos all over their arms. And, you know, it's common you'll get a white woman who's going to, you know, an Indian wedding. So she'll get it done. So I guess that's not cultural appropriation. I think not if you're doing it for something like that, I would argue. I mean, I know I have gone to an Indian wedding ceremony before, let's just say Hindu wedding ceremony, and wore, actually went and bought a Indian I guess sari. style it wasn't actually a sari but it was like a top and pants thing. Mm. and I wasn't sure if you were supposed to do that but I was basically told oh no you definitely should do that yeah I have um, a number of friends who have been to weddings in India and have done the same thing and yeah, yeah it's like expected that you would wear. yeah it's almost like if you didn't that would maybe be a bit strange yeah maybe it's just case by case but I think it's important to at least think about it definitely and I guess it all comes back to that power and exploitation of other cultures um, and yeah just just be careful tread carefully yeah I think that's a really good point the other thing actually recently while I was in Europe I was in the Netherlands on King's Day which was a total blast by the way one of my top ever travel days oh. so much fun and um, what is King's Day King's Day is like it's like national holiday celebration of the royal family I believe it's King's birthday or oh, it's just called King's it's like the whole of Holland is just partying and celebrating and King's Night which is the night before is just like there's public DJs everywhere I was in Amsterdam um, but I think the whole country is just pretty mental and then everyone's on the canal boats and just partying and everyone's wearing orange so I wore orange is one of my favorite colors and I wore orange and I was like hmm is this cultural appropriation yeah but I guess the Dutch are like pretty successful colonists so (laughs) appropriating them is not really a a struggle of power I I don't know I think I think you are safe I think you're right going back to what you said before about the power dynamic there Dutch are pretty good at colonizing places but less likely to be colonized themselves so I don't I think you would have been safe on that one yeah I think I felt not like an asshole doing that okay that's a good that's a good test do you feel like a dick it's probably a good measurement am I going to offend someone no 
Okay, so read, watch, listen. What have we got this week? Well, I heard a podcast from Invisibilia, which is a really good podcast in general that people should check out. And it's called The Secret Emotional Life of Clothes. And it kind of goes into some of these things that we've been talking about today, this idea of clothes giving us power. And one of the things I liked was this idea of even having sentimental shirts or clothing that you're probably not going to wear, or maybe it's an ex-lovers or something that you just don't throw out. And mm. I I think that's actually okay sometimes not to be Mari Kondo and getting rid of everything to declutter. Sometimes things have emotional meanings. That's true. Very interesting. I took a different slant. <laughs> I've got, I recommend the book. Uh, it's by Patty Boyd and it's her kind of biography called Wonderful Tonight. So Patty Boyd is like the ultimate muse, um, I guess, of the 60s. Um, she's a total sort of rock chick babe icon. She was married to George Harrison of the Beatles and then left him for Eric Clapton. So, as you do. As you do. And Eric Clapton wrote the song Wonderful Tonight about her. And the book is called Wonderful Tonight. So it's just an interesting part of history and time with rock and roll and fashion and everything that's going on and drugs and the craziness and speaking about like you know certain looks or finding your tribe it's like I feel like she was the creator of kind of that boho rock chick look um so eh, kind of I I really enjoyed the book she's a little frustrating but you gotta remember she's a sign of the times she was living in too so yeah I actually do want to check that one out sounds interesting and I think you just can't go past sex in the city if we're talking about clothes or shows about clothes and we're analyzing clothes putting together amazing outfits absolutely and and sometimes it's insane outfits i mean that was kind of one of the cool things about yeah. that show yeah yeah they the stylist on that um i forget her name right now is it patricia, uh, patricia field yeah. petty field she did um an amazing amazing job and again i just love that even within those characters you really get um a sense of who they are by their clothing and particularly at the beginning of the show the early seasons compared to the later seasons so miranda the lawyer is this straight talking very like hardline woman especially at the beginning and she wears like suits and very power dressing outfits and by the end you know she's found love she's softened up a bit and she's starting to wear more feminine clothes and i thought that was quite an interesting transformation that i even noticed as a casual watcher yeah definitely okay i'm gonna round out the list uh with just a generalized thing to watch makeover shows oh god yeah guilty pleasure absolutely like Love um it. who what where or uh what's it called anything without doing a makeover you come on and this person's like dressed horrendously and they have all this emotional baggage and then you take them shopping and you do their hair and makeup and then hey presto they're transformed yeah, I love those shows too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's it. Over and out for us this week. Thanks. Bye.